Exodus chapter 39. We are in the final message today. So, Generations Church, if we haven't met yet, my name is Jeff Ludington. I'm the lead pastor here. And we have spent the last 15 weeks working our way through the book of Exodus. And to summarize all of that, <laughs> nearly impossible, but we begin with Israel, God's people in Egypt, enslaved. And as they cry out to God, God delivers them from slavery, and then he takes them into the wilderness. And Exodus covers a year-long journey in the wilderness, the first of 40 years wandering in a wilderness, a desert. And so we began this series talking about how we learn about God in the harder times of life, in unique circumstances. For us, coronavirus season, these restrictions that we have been under and that kind of ebb and flow. And right now we're kind of on that edge of hearing that there may be. So this season that is very unknown to many of us has been a challenge. And then you throw in racial tension and politics and everything else, and, and it's been a challenging season. And right now we're at that kind of nine month mark, if you will, where we've kind of come into this season. And so we're asking the questions, what can we learn from God, about God, how, how do we do that in this time uniquely? And that's what we've been pressing into for the people of God in Exodus and then applying that to ourselves. And so each week we do this, we, we ask everybody to stand and if you're at home or you're here, you're indoors, outdoors, whatever you're doing, right? We, we ask you to stand and we do this just as a way of recognizing the value of God's word to us, the church. And so in Exodus 39, I'm just going to read a couple verses, and it says this, starting in verse 1, from the blue and the purple and the scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 2, he made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined, twined linen, excuse me, and they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut into threads the work in the blue, the purple, and the scarlet yarns, and into the fine twined linen in skilled design, and they made for the ephod attaching shoulder pieces joined to it at two edges, and a skillfully woven band on it was one piece with it, and made like it of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now I want you to notice this in verse 1 and verse 5, there's this repeated phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses. If you're following along, you have our app, and you're going to follow along in the notes, Here's, our, here's our, kind of our main idea for the day. Salvation is God's love for the undeserving. God, in spite of our sins, saves us. He forgives idolatry, overlooks failure, untangles our messes, and ultimately salvation. If we will just listen to him and do what he says. If we will just listen to God and do what God says, God is abundantly willing to rescue us, really, from ourselves or from our life or from the circumstances in which we're in. Whether we cause them or we're just a part of them, God rescues, God saves. And so that's where we're going to begin this morning. Will you pray with me? God, as we gather, I pray that you would speak to us, whether we're here in person or joining us online, whether we're online right down the street or we're in another state. We gather this morning to be your people, we know, Jesus, that when we gather, you said you're in the midst of us. And I know that when you said that, you could look into the future and know about the internet or coronavirus or anything else, and God, that you are not restrained by space or time or distance. 
And so we gather, even when we're not in the same physical space, God, we as a church gather. I thank you for the internet. I thank you for the social media. I thank you for the things that allow us to be a church to people both at distance and locally, even in these season, these, this season of restriction. And so thank you, God, for that. Will you speak to us today? We're your church. We're gathered. We want to hear your word. And so, God, may I get out of the way. Lord, may I just fade into the background, and God, will you speak? Will you teach us today from your word? It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Exodus 39, we're going to skip down a whole bunch of verses later, but I want you to know that in Exodus 39, verse 21, 26, 29, 31, 32, all repeat that very same thing that was in verse 1 and verse 5. That the, as the Lord had commanded Moses, there's this repetition that the people are making things as God has told Moses and Moses has passed on to them. And so what they're doing, if you've been a part of this series with us, is Moses has been called up on the mountain by God and been given instruction. He's gone back down to the people and told them how to build a tabernacle. And a tabernacle basically is a mobile church, right? It's a, a mobile tent with a, a courtyard outside where people can come and enter and worship. And then the priest can go inside one part of it and, and offer sacrifices for people. But in, inside of this, a place called the Holy of Holies is this place where the Ark of the Covenant will go with a mercy seat on top. And God has promised if the people do as he has called them to do, that he will rest his presence there. That, that God literally will leave Mount Sinai or leave heaven and not leave, but come down uniquely and place his presence in the midst of the people. And you've got to take this image of Moses being called outside the camp and away from the people and up on a mountain and God bringing his presence down on the mountain, this fire and thunder and cloud and consuming the mountain and God saying, I'm going to bring my presence from removed from the people and I'm going to bring it down among the people. But you've got to do it the way I tell you to do it, God says. And so there's this repeated phrase that the people are doing as the Lord instructed Moses to do over and over and over again. That gets us caught up to verse 33 where we're going to get started. And I'm going to read through kind of a longer passage that summarizes the things that we just skipped over. Verse 33. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent, all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillar, and its bases, the covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins and the, the veil of the stream, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the very thing I was just talking about, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with lamps set all over its uh, set and all its utensils and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar, its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils and the basin and its stand, the hangings of all the court, its pillars, its bases, and all the stream for the gate of the court, its cords, its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting. The finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of the sons for their service as priests. Verse 42, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. So here they are, back and forth. There's there's been this season of their obedience and their disobedience. We see them come out of slavery, and, and God has miraculously delivered them by plagues on Egypt, and then they, they come out, and they come up against a body of water, and the Egyptian army starts chasing them, 
and they just completely revolt against Moses and blame God and him and everybody else. And then God delivers them through that body of water and kills the army. And they get on the other side of it and they sing a worship song and then they travel a little bit and they don't have any water and they grumble and complain and, and they just, oh God, why'd you lead us here? Why'd you do this? And they blame Moses and then God provides water for them. And then they're without food and then God provides food. You can see how this goes back and forth and back and forth and it reminds us that that's us, that it's easy to look on them and say, wow, they're crazy, right? But we're crazy too. Right? We forget very quickly how God has been good to us. We go a couple steps and we forget what God just did. And then we're confronted with this problem. And here we are grumbling and complaining again. And, and then God has to kind of meet us in that moment. And we have to learn how to depend and trust on God. And so all this back and forth and false worship, the Israelites have literally worshipped a gold cow and thanked that gold cow for delivering from Egypt when God said, have no other gods, don't make any idols. And so all this, this, this has been an extreme journey, 40 chapters of Exodus, spent a year, the first year of 40 in the desert, and it gets to this place where Moses has taken all the commandments of how to build this place where God is going to dwell in the midst of the people, this mobile church, if you will, and they've begun to be obedient and do as God told Moses to do. And so all this has been made, the Ark of the Covenant has been made, the, the tabernacle, the actual tent itself, and all the poles and the, the pegs and the, the covers and then the, the altar and then the, the, the basin where they would, the priest would wash and then the priestly garments, both for Aaron the high priest and for his sons who will become priests. All this has been done as God instructed Moses to do. It says, so the people of Israel, right there in that ver verse, had done all the work. So they get to this place where they've completed what God has said. Verse 43, and Moses saw the work and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. So they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. I remember reading this in both verse, uh, the last two verses, 42 and 43, and they come to this place of completion. And I just remember, I told my wife too, I said, man, I just once want to feel this feeling, like I want to get to the bottom of the list. I want to get to this place where, all right, I look around and I'm done. And that's what we see here. We see like the guy who made the table and the guy who made the ark and then the people over here who made the curtains and they all get together and they're like, I'm good. You good? Did you do it? And everybody, and everybody looks at Moses. They're like, we're done. Moses looks around and everything is done the way God called them to do it. And it says, and Moses blesses them. Moses gives them that attaboy, that good job, like, hey, we did it. We pulled together as a team, and man, we checked off everything on the list. What an incredible feeling to get to that place. Just once, I want to feel that, like, hey, I finally got to the bottom of the list, right? Exodus chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting. I just want you to hear this. They get to the bottom of the list and, oh, God's like, flip it over. There's a whole other set of stuff to do, right? Like, now you got all this stuff. Now let's build it. Let's put it together. Yeah, they brought you the curtains and they brought you the tent pegs and they put the stuff that you've got for in the tent. Now let's build it. And God says, Moses, now let's put this church together. Let's put the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Let's put this together and let's put everything in it and now I'm going to do 
what I said I would do. I'm going to take my presence that's been way up here and removed from the people, and I'm going to bring it down into the midst of the people because the people have done what I asked them to do. Let's start back at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony and you shall screen the ark with the veil, right? That covering that we talked about that would kind of wall off God's presence from people so they wouldn't be consumed. Verse four, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put the golden altar for the incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. I remember when we bought this building, we came in and pretty much if you can see it, we remodeled it, right? All that wood, the cross, everything, it's all new. The, The lights that are shining on me, the sound that we can hear, everything's brand new. And we came in and did a big remodel. And remodeling is never easy. You've done it at your home or a business, it's never easy, right? It makes you want to quit in the middle. But I remember that first time we're kind of going through and like the carpet's done, the paint's done, the doors are painted, the tech's in, and we're looking around and there's this moment where, like, wow, it's, it's a church. Like it, 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 not because it's got paint and carpet and lights, right? That doesn't make it a church, but our vision had come to be. Like the things that God had given us and put in our hearts to do, it was done. And that's what they're doing. They're walking in and they're setting this up they get to set up their church in this moment, right? Verse six, and you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle in the tent of meeting, and you shall place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it, and you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court, right? The court is the, is the outside area, like it's, so there's the the Holy of Holies is this inner, inner place, right? Inside the enclosed space. And the, the whole enclosed space is called the holy place. The place inside, walled off, even inside the holy place is called the Holy of Holies. And so that's the interior. That's the tent, the tabernacle. And then there's this court. There's this big set of kind of curtains or, you know, it's earlier than chain link. But imagine that, right? There's this kind of set up walled off curtains that kind of create this entire courtyard, I guess it's so a place that they could do their coronavirus restriction services outdoors, right? But there's this, there's this delineator, there's this line, these walls, really, that create the court. And what it is, in the midst of the camp, where all the tribes have their areas, you get to the edge of that, and there's the wall of the court. And it's the, it's the, it's the line between what is your space and what is God's space. As you enter in beyond this court wall, as you go in, you go in only for one one reason. You go in to worship. You go in to sacrifice. You go in to pray. You go in to participate in worship. And there's a clear marker. That's my space. That's their space. This is God's space. If you're following along in the app, here's a note for you. Sacred space for God. A lesson from the tabernacle court is giving specific space for God. We can do this by giving unique space to God in our day, in our home, in our life. How do we give sacred space to God in our day, every day, right? How do we carve out space that is only for God? It's not for God in email. It's not for God in my wife. It's not for God in this. It's for God. How do we do that? How do we carve out space in our home? How do we set up a space in our home? Now, this doesn't fully meet this requirement, but When Lisa and I bought our house, 
we were going in and again like this. We're remodeling, we're painting, we're bringing furniture in. And I remember we have a living room and a family room, and our living room is really small. It's off the dining room. The fireplace that we, we did some, some really cool stuff on our fireplace, and, and it's this nice space. And above the fireplace is this empty wall, and my go-to, I put a TV on it, right? And I remember as soon as I mounted that TV and I sat down in the chairs, the carpet, the stuff that we had put in there, and I'm like, yeah, no. No, I don't want a TV in here. And we pulled that off, passed that up, and we put some, some scriptures, some pictures up there. And that's where I pray in the mornings. And it's, it, and, and it's not the only thing I do there ever. Lisa and I will sit in there, we'll kick on the fireplace, but really I created a different space, a, a space that didn't have TV, didn't have noise, that was just a different space. And this courtyard is kind of like that, but completely devoted to God. It's this inside, you go past that gate, you get in there, and you're in there for only one reason. You're in there to spend time with God. How can we do that in our lives, in our days, in our homes, in our lives? Verse 9, it says, Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, so that my altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. We don't really use anoint and consecrate very well in the church today. This anointing was, this anointing oil was this special oil that God had the people make and they were told, make this oil like this. And he gives them all the ingredients and all the instructions. He says, don't make anything else like this. Don't use this kind of oil for other stuff. Don't use it for cleansing. Don't use it for smell. Don't use it for fragrance. Don't use just for worship. I, I, no other, just this, this way. And they were to take this as they set everything up now. And they're to pour it out and anoint all the pieces of it. And just to cover this and say, this is for God. When we did this building in here, underneath all of this, underneath where the stage is, underneath where the carpet is, underneath all the flooring out there, everywhere, we had a bunch of us come in at different times. All our community groups came in in different groups, and we wrote verses all over the floors and the walls, and it was just kind of our way of anointing or consecrating or setting apart this building for what we were going to do with God, what God was going to do through us, how we were going to be when we were in this place. And there's just a beauty to setting that apart. And I don't remember, I, I remember I wrote over here. I don't, I, I don't remember what all we did or where anything really landed. I remember the verse I used. But I, I just, all those things will sit there invisible to, them, to all of us, right? And we might even forget about them. I just thought about them. It's not in my nose. I just thought about it. That's how we set this place apart for God, and they were going in with this anointing oil and consecrating or setting it apart, saying, this is holy to God. All that we're going to use this basin for, which is like a sink, right, where they would wash, that's only going to be used for, for this cleansing ritual in worship. We're not going to use this for washing anything else. This is just for God. So they set it all apart. Verse 12. He says, and then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them, 
as you anointed their father, that they may serve you or serve me as priest, God says. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout the generations. So I want you to imagine this. This thing is being developed, and it starts on the inside as they erect the tent, the tabernacle, and they place the things inside of it, and then they close off the Holy of Holies, and then kind of put the stuff on the outside of that, and then they close up the tent, and then they set up the courtyard all around, and and really what they're doing is designating all this space. This is God's space. This is where we will come in, and we will meet with God. We will worship. We will pray. We will sacrifice. We will give. Here's where we'll meet with And they set it all apart and say, this will only be used for God. And then they do the same thing with Aaron and Aaron's sons. And they they set them also apart for God. Not just a place, not just an area, not just some land, but also a people. And their job is to only serve God. That doesn't mean that they don't worship too or that they don't do other things. But really, their job is to be priests that go between, between humanity and God. And so they are set apart for this job. Verse 16, it says, This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. So there it is again, right? All that the Lord commanded him, so he did. Moses is being obedient, whatever God says, Moses is going and doing it. And before that, it was God told Moses, and Moses instructed people, this is how you're going to make the tabernacle, and this is how you're going to make the Ark of the Covenant, and this is where you're going to put the mercy seat, and the, the angels that are going to overshadow it, and then over here, this is how you're going to make the bronze basin, and this is how you're going to make the table, and this is how you're going to make the anointing oil, and Moses passed it on, and now the people are all doing it just as the Lord had told Moses. And then God tells Moses, now go, you got all the pieces, everybody did their part, right? Remember, flip the page over, now let's go do this. The next job is let's put it all together. God is saying, I want to be in the midst of these people, right? Same people that worshiped a golden cow not too long ago. Same people complained about the water in Mara, right? Same people said, we don't have any food, and God gave them bread, and God gave them meat. Like the same people, but God has said this, and I want to be with my people. Now let's go set it up. I'm ready. I'm ready to join the people and be in the midst of them. This Moses did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. For five chapters, this has been being built up. And now it's coming to fruition. It's coming to completion. Verse 17, in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Now here's what's important about that. It is one year from the exodus out of Egypt. It took them three months after being delivered from slavery. It took them about three months of wandering and complaining and grumbling. That was the repeated word. And the people grumbled and the people grumbled, right? And then God would meet with them. It took them about three months to get to Mount Sinai. Now, if you walk straight there, it's probably a day's journey. It's not very far. But as they kind of wandered and stopped and learned, as they rebelled and complained and grumbled, and then God provided and corrected and encouraged and brought them along, Three months as they worked their way over to the bottom of Mount Sinai. They've been at the bottom of Mount Sinai, camped in a specific way, camped at Mount Sinai for nine months, making all the components for the tabernacle. So it took them three months to get from out of slavery to Mount Sinai. Then it took them nine months to build and erect the whole tabernacle, to make all the pieces, put it all together. You know what it took them a year to do? Learn how to obey. It took them all 12 months to figure out how to do this. When God says do this, 
They actually do it the way God says. And when it's slow and when it's tedious, they don't grumble. And when they get it together, when it's been a minute, they don't leave God and revolt and go worship a golden cow. They gather it together. It takes them a year to really develop this kind of obedience. And Moses has had his highs and lows as well. Moses has wanted to curse the people. Moses told God, just kill me. I'm over this. Moses has come down in a fit of anger, thrown the tablets that God wrote on himself, right? So they've had their highs and lows. But a year in, as they get a year outside of slavery, here's the lesson learned. They become more obedient, right? For us, we need to understand that as we're kind of approaching that nine-month mark, right? As we're getting to that place in coronavirus where we've been restricted for quite a long time. We missed Easter. and Like, Easter was very different, right? It's five weeks in and wasn't like any of us had planned. And then we're like, okay, cool, summer. And then summer wasn't summer, I was just talking to some high school students that are seniors this year about their siblings and their friends that graduated last year, kind of, right? And they're just the weirdest thing ever last year. Now, these students are kind of doing hybrid school, mostly online, a little bit in person, and it's a weird senior year. And we're all going through this, and our politics have been different, and our, the tensions and the, just the struggles have been different, and here we are. And, and as I look at this, and I kind of place ourselves as a church in the text I just asked this question, how long will it take us to learn obedience through this? Right? We learned how to grumble. That was easy. We're good at that, right? We learned how to sin because we're super good at that, right? We know how to do all the other things that Israel has done, but have we truly learned obedience? Have we, the church here in America, have we, Generations Church, just us, have we learned obedience through this season? And if not, how long? until really that becomes the takeaway that we are more obedient, right? Not we're going to complain, not we're going to say, I shouldn't have to wear a mask, or we should be able to meet indoors, or we should not be able to meet indoors, or whatever we're going to say, not politically divided, not this, not that. How long until we learn obedience? Listen to what God is saying to us in the following verses. Starting verse 18, Moses erected the tabernacle, He laid its bases and set up its frames. He put on its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and he put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord commanded Moses. So Moses sets the frame and covers the tabernacle, the actual tent that will hold the worship and the church inside. It says, as the Lord commanded Moses, right? That repetition of obedience. Verse 20. He took the testimony and put it into the ark, right? Those are the tablets, put them into the ark of the covenant. And he put the poles in the ark and he set the mercy seat above the ark and he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the stream, like walled it off in the Holy of Holies, right? And he screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses, right? Repeated, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 22, he put the table in front of the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. And he arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. Again, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 24, he put the lampstand on the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and he set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses, right? Repetition, as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Verse 26, he put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil, and he burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 28, he put, 28, he put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle, 
And he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle at the tent of meeting. And he offered on it burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. You think God is trying to make a point to us today? As the Lord had commanded Moses over and over, recognition of obedience. Verse 30. And he set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar. And he put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet when they went into the tent of meeting. And when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses, right? One more time, they did everything as the Lord commanded Moses. So not only in chapter 39 did they do all that the Lord had commanded Moses to do, right? They, they did that and repeated over and over and over again. But here it is, verse 16, 19, 21, 23, 25, 27, 29, and 32. All these verses repeat over and over and over as the Lord commanded Moses. What did it take them a year to learn? To do things as the Lord commanded them to do. This is the big takeaway. We're in Exodus 40. We, we are 40 chapters in, one year into the exile. That is going to be a 40-year journey which will eliminate an entire generation of Jews because of their disobedience, because they worshipped a golden cow and thanked that cow for letting them out of Egypt when God delivered them from Egypt. Because of their idolatry, they're all going to die in the wilderness. Because of their disobedience to the first set of commandments that God gave them, don't make an idol, don't worship false gods, don't do that, and they do it. So then we get to rest, we get to see this book play out and this repetition of obedience that at the end of the first year, they're starting to do all that the Lord commanded them to do. Moses is doing all that the Lord God commanded him to do. Repetition over and over, God is telling us, listen, the line in the ground is obedience, right? God has been faithful the whole time. God delivered them, miraculously delivered them. And then got them out. And then they complained because there's an army coming and a body of water in front of them. And God delivered them. Not only did he do it, but he did it miraculously through the body of water, same body of water that killed the Egyptian army. And then they get to the other side and they worship, oh God, you're so good. And then they get thirsty and they grumble and complain. And then God provides. And then they get hungry and they grumble and complain. And they blame God and they yell at Moses. They do their thing, right? And then God provides. And then God keeps providing. God keeps meeting with them. God sets them up a camp at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and God keeps meeting with Moses. Moses will go up on Mount Sinai. God will meet with him visibly, covering the mountain when he, when he talks to Moses. But then it just takes too long one time. It takes him 40 days up there. And 40 days, clearly, is too long for the Israelites because they start worshiping a false idol. And God is livid, and Moses comes down angry. But God forgives. God forgives their idolatry, God forgives the mess they make. God forgives their problems. God forgives their sins. God forgives their transgressions. God forgives the people. But then this story keeps going, and we learn about the obedience first of the people and of Moses repeatedly over and over again. They did as God commanded them to do. Verse 33, and he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court so Moses finished the work, right? Moses finished everything God had given him to do. Now, it, it's not a, a, like he thought he was done, like at the end of 39, where God's like, hey, flip it over. There's more on the back, right? It's not that. It's, he actually did everything. He's, been given the, he's given the people the law. He's provided for the people. He's told them where they're going to go. 
He's made this tabernacle. He's erected this worship place, right? This, this church in the midst of the people. And he's done it all. He's brought up his brother Aaron and his sons that are going to become the priesthood. And Moses has set it all in place and anointed it all. And, and he's filled the basin with water. And he started the fire over here on the altar. And he's, he's just, he's done everything he was supposed to do. And there's this moment right here where Moses is finished. And I couldn't help but read this. And, and the thing that kept, kept coming back to me was Jesus' words on the cross. So, so the gospel, right? The gospel begins way back when God creates humanity and, and designs us to be worshipers of God, not meaning singers, but people that bring glory to God. And then humanity sins. Adam and Eve sin. Our ancient historical parents sin. And sin severs the relationship between God and humanity right? The Israel is just a product of that. Their sinfulness, their wickedness, their idolatrousness, they're a product of inherited sin that just keeps passing on generation after generation, getting worse and getting worse. And then you just keep going to us and all that happens is humanity continues to add sin upon sin, problem upon problem, mess upon mess. And here we are today, all of us fitting to the mess that the world is in, right? Whether it be the political mess, mess or the or the viral mess all the stuff right it's all because we disobey god and here it is all the way fast forward to this sin this mess this uh, this 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 ball of mess we can't untangle and god says but i have an answer right i don't have to fix this because i kind of told you how to do it to begin with and you chose not to but i love you too much kind of like god said to moses like this generation will die in the desert, but I'm still going to bring my presence down. I love them too much just to cut them loose. So God becomes human flesh. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, becomes flesh. And he lives the life that we're all called to do. Everything Jesus did brought glory to God without sin. He did it perfectly. He lived the life you and I are called to live, but we fail. In fact, we choose to fail, right? And Jesus intentionally lived that life. And then in our place, Jesus suffers our penalty. Jesus not only takes death on the cross, but Jesus is separated from God the Father for a moment as wrath, as the wrath of all sin poured out on Jesus. As he cries out, my God, where are you? Why are you forsaking me? As he carries the penalty for our sin, my sin, your sin. But then, hanging on that cross, when all is said and done, Jesus says this, it is finished. Here it is in John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus has received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus gets this place where he has lived a life that was needed. And then he's died the death that was necessary. And he's endured the separation from God. He's endured the wrath of sin on him. All that was required for you and I to be reconciled to God. And Jesus, after suffering and enduring that, cries out, it is finished. The job's done. Salvation is here. God and humanity can now, can be reconciled. Because of Christ, you and I have the opportunity to lay all that down and enter into the presence of God. Because Jesus said, it is finished. We know we can be reconciled to God. Our sin can be covered. We get new life. 
We get to worship. We get to go back to a very flawed and broken version of it. We get to go back to being in relationship with God. This whole tent in the middle of the desert where most everything is blocked off and God's presence is kind of stuffed in the middle of it, which is amazing for them. But remember, when God tears that veil as Jesus dies, that the presence of God is now available for you and for me. And it's all because Jesus says, it is finished. It's done. I did it. I see this moment as Moses comes to the end of this. And he puts it all together. And it's done. Jesus has completed the work necessary for you and for me to have everything we need through him, in him. That the gospel is complete because Jesus said so. It is finished. Back in Exodus, verse 34, it says, Then, right, it's all done. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So Moses had put all this together. Moses had been the person who's gone up into God's presence, come back down, and learned obedience. And God has been, Moses has been the person who's gone down with God's word, and he's taught the people, and the people are now being obedient. And no, they're not perfect, they're flawed, they're broken. No, Moses isn't perfect. And, and, but they're all being obedient to God, and they set this place up. And as soon as they do, and they kind of close the door, it's done. And then all of a sudden, God's presence visibly descends on the tabernacle and it says in a cloud he consumes this and he brings his presence into the middle of the tabernacle and i love what it says and moses can no longer go in why can't moses who just built this who was just meeting with god who was obedient to god who was leading the people who are now obedient to god why can't moses go in because moses is not our savior jesus is moses is not sinless Jesus is. Moses can't be in the presence of God either. Only Jesus. And so Moses isn't able to go in. And in the same way, the people, he can't just go in. The same way, we don't get to trust in doctors and scientists and Indian chiefs and pastors and, you know, whatever. We trust in Jesus. He's our Savior. Not Moses, not a president, not a candidate, not a scientist, not a vaccine, not anything. We trust in Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one. Because Jesus is the one that covers our sin, that fixes our problem, it says it is finished. Moses just points the way to Jesus so that we can understand what Jesus is doing. He just points us to the way. Jesus is the one. So God's presence comes down and it fills the tabernacle. Verse 36, it says, Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud, was not, the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. It's like red light, green light, right? It's, God's got this. When his cloud stays there, you stay there, right? When the cloud lifts up and goes, you go. If God head fakes, you got to stay. Like, that's the deal. The cloud stays, the fire stays, you stay. God's presence is here, we stay here. God picks up and moves, and the people follow. Here's what we get. Here's this last verse again, right? They're being obedient. When the cloud and the fire stay, they're obedient. They stay. They don't go until God says, let's go. And then God is going to take them on this journey. They're going to go through Paran. They're going to end up on the other side by the Jordan. They're going to do this, but they've learned obedience over the last year. If the cloud was not taken up, they didn't set out till the day it was taken up. That's what is said. 
Verse 38, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Here it is, closing line, let it hang there. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. What do the people get for their obedience? They get God. They get God's presence. They get God's leadership. They get God. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you have come in and torn the veil because you lived and you died and you rose again, because you are our media, you are our savior, and Jesus, forgive us. We always forget that. We trust in politicians and doctors and scientists and athletes and who knows all that we do, God. We forget. We forget that none of them can save us but you. And that all you do is call us to a life of obedience because you know how we're made to be. You created us. You love us. And when we went our own way, when we sinned, you came running for us like the father with the two sons, the, the son who went wayward. And, and, and as he's coming back, the father goes running. That's that image of you running and rescuing and redeeming and bringing us in. Because Jesus gave his life for us, we are brought in. And then just like the tabernacle as Jesus ascends back to heaven, you place your spirit in us. It's a promise of your baptism that you give us your Holy Spirit. Your presence now rests in us. We don't have to see it over there on a tabernacle. We get to have it live in us. And all you say is just obey me, follow what I have taught you to do. Over and over again, as we learn the lesson of the first year of Israel's exodus from Egypt is obedience. God, teach us obedience. Let us as a church, generations starting with us, let us learn to be more obedient through this season of struggle and challenge and restriction and pain and division and problem. Let us be different. Let us learn obedience, Lord. It is in your name we pray. Amen.